Time is a funny thing. The visual effects business has been around for many years now. Actually, more or less as long as the film business. We went from in-camera effects, smoke and mirrors, to computer-generated effects, and today, the VFX business is a huge and constantly evolving industry. The computer games industry is not as old, but has been with us for at least four decades by now. For many years, those businesses existed side by side, but they didn't interact. If you wanted to work with VFX, you went for the film industry. And if you wanted to work with games, you went to the gaming industry. People rarely worked in both industries, but since a fair number of years, that situation has changed. Some people call it a convergence of industries. Convergence is a magical word. It makes me think of old prophecies and stars lining up in the sky to reveal some ancient secret. But it's also actually a very good word to describe how the film, TV and gaming industries have started to blend together. The reason for this convergence is simple. Both industries rely more and more on the same kind of softwares and expertise. Today, you don't need to choose between film, TV or games when you dream of entering the world of visual digital storytelling. Today, you can work with both film, TV, VFX and games. One of the reasons for this is the advent of game engines. Those amazing softwares that allow us to create what some people call real-time production. Another buzzword. And a very important one. We've talked about real-time production before here at Yellowbrook Road, but we felt it was time to return to that exciting topic. So... Follow me down Yellow Brick Road, because today we're going to discuss Unreal Engine. Hi everybody, I'm Nils Lagen and this is your favorite podcast, Yellow Brick Road. Cozy little podcast where we discuss movies, games and visual effects. And today we're going to return to that fascinating topic, real-time production and Unreal Engine in particular. So to help poor little me understand this amazing technology a little better, I've invited two colleagues from the real-time team at Gullbergkansas Studios in Stockholm. Henrik Melsom and Tim Hermes. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So nice to have you here. And uh, none of you have been here at Jölbeck Road before, so let's start with some introductions. Tim, let's start with you. How did you end up in this lovely business? Uh, it's been a quite long road for me. I started out working with graphic design and uh, web development and um, always been doing my games on the side like hobby projects so and it's always been like a balance of both tech and art i love the mix of both i wouldn't like want to be working with just art mm. uh, and then i studied in uh, visby gotland uh, the game development course um, which led to some more game development work and coordinating and but also never let, let like the art direction and graphic design and illustration go go completely to waste. So I, mm. I, I worked with a mix of things 
And then later I wanted to make a deep dive into 3D, even though I had been working a bit with it, I was interested to learn more. So I went to the school in Ekwa, uh, where we studied with a more VFX, how do you say, a VFX? Uh, Oriented. Uh, like. Yeah, exactly. And uh, after that, I worked with commercials, TV, film, uh, but always had my eye on Goodbye Kansas and especially the cinematic part of the work, which mm. always kept me interested. Um, and uh, yeah, I feel like I've been at Goodbye Kansas for three years now, and it feels like a, a good mix of everything that I like, like the stuff that I worked with before, everything merges together and uh Yeah, I really like the product that we work with and uh, also the way of working. So it's like the, this combination of tech and art. Exactly. I think it's the best parts of uh, and game development. And uh, we, you don't have to work on a game for like several years. You can be part of an amazing game that developers are working on and, and you make something really nice looking from that. Yeah, there is a difference. Uh, I guess it could be tiresome to work on a game Just sit on the same thing for years and years and years. Joey, I'm old and I have spent most of my life doing the same damn thing. Yeah, I ne I've never been employed like on a major uh, AAA company, uh, but it's still... I feel like it would be uh, pretty hard to work on the same product for, say, five years. Uh, yeah. I feel like I would love to switch between other projects as well. <laughs> And you, Henrik, what's your story? Well, I guess you could say I was born in it. Uh, I used to watch my father uh, play his games like Wolfenstein, Doom. And when I got to play them myself, I was amazed at how you could like render some the graphical aspect of the thing mm. really really interested me so uh, since since i was a little child i've been interested in uh, making it myself mm. uh, so i was uh, in the beginning more interested in games but uh, then i realized that it's more about the rendering and uh, making it go fast nice pictures yeah. fast Like the offline thing, uh, it's I get bored with it. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? But 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 you also have this passion for technology then combined with with this visual interest. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's like the uh, conduit. You have to have that tool, the technology to to make it happen. So it's more. Uh, I see it more as a tool. Yeah. And it is interesting, like you both come from a games perspective in a way, and now at Goodbye Kansas is like where we do game trailers and also VFX for for films and stuff. How these two industries are like converging, merging together. Let's talk about real time production. Uh, you're experts on it, uh, but I only know that it's basically is about using game engines for rendering. Kind of. Uh, I'm just a humble podcast host, quite frankly, rather stupid when it comes to technological stuff. So, so how would you describe the technology for someone like me? Why don't you explain this to me like I am an eight-year-old? I think like the, the thing you described, uh, game engine, is, is the core of it, I mm. would say. Then you could take it to different levels. You could have it just as a renderer where you 
put out the images way faster. You would still do the lighting inside of Unreal, which I would say is a big benefit, seeing the the feedback instantaneously and um, much faster iterating. But mm. you could also um, take it further. I mean, we real time is such a buzzword, and uh, for us, the our, our department is named real time. But we we do we do both like runtime projects where everything needs to be rendered like in actual real time. Mm. And we do like pre-render stuff that then treats the engine more like a renderer. Yeah. Uh, so there's everything between. And of course you could do more than just lighting directly in the engine, but we also rely a lot on other software that all VFX companies or like all production require. Like modeling is not done directly in Unreal, even though we can do some blocking. It's not like pure modeling software and Animation is now easier to do inside of Unreal, uh, but it's still preferred by the animators to do outside of Unreal. They prefer to do it in their package that they learned, Maya or Houdini or whatever. So, yeah, it, it could be everything between. And it's very much about speed. You, you mentioned, Henrik. That... Yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting question because... Um, like with the disciplines merging, the technology mm. is is merging as well. Yeah. Uh, like the traditional rasterizing pipeline is more and more being uh, re-implemented with the real-time ray tracing. So, Tim, you, you mentioned that you use uh, different kinds of softwares at the real-time department. What other softwares do you use? Yeah, I mean, the, the core is still the game engine. And yeah. in our case, it's like Unreal Engine is our... I would say main weapon of choice, but mm. we use Unity as well. And sometimes we work with proprietary engines where the client has their own engine and we need to um, work with their engine basically to do either cinematics, cutscenes or something like that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, the engine is the, the main thing. But yeah, of course, if we need to do um, modeling, we wouldn't do that inside of Unreal normally. And uh, same with the... Uh, the some of the look dev steps if you need to if you need a software to paint textures on side of a on top of a model you would probably do that in substance painter same as as um, traditional uh, offline rendering uh -huh. and then bring that into unreal so like unreal in our case uh, or other game engines are more like the the core of the production uh, at our department but uh, all other software is still very relevant mm. And today we're going to focus on Unreal Engine. So tell me, what's the brief story about the inception of Unreal Engine? Where did it come from? Well, it's it's in its basic form. It's it's uh, it was made as a competitor to uh, id Software's uh, games like Quick and Doom. Uh, Long ago. <laughs> Very long ago, back in the nineties, <laughs> the nineteen hundreds. <laughs> yeah, um, and then it kind of evolved over time. Up, uh, Unreal Engine One was released in ninety-eight, I think. Uh, then they bumped it up to two in the two thousands. Uh, then we went to three, uh, and I think. It took a time for 3 to be released free, like Unreal Engine 4 is now. Mm. Uh, when, but, uh, when did you start? Oh, uh, I guess it depends how you see it. 
I I started modding with Unreal Engine 2 for Unreal Engine uh, Unreal Tournament 2004. So long story. <laughs> and, and you, you team, uh, yeah. your first Unreal Engine. Yeah, I think I dabbled some with the like the level editor and like the tool that was integrated into Unreal Tournament, but I didn't start like developing anything on my own. Um, at least not something. Um, worth mentioning uh, until <laughs> Unreal Engine 4. Um, so I was pretty late to the party and um, I used Unity uh, more um, before I started at this company and realized uh, yeah, the power of Unreal fully. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the issues I had with Unreal was actually the interface, which is really nice with the new 5 version that comes out. So I'm looking forward to that getting a proper release. Mm. Uh- we work in an industry filled with secrets and NDAs, uh, and especially when it comes to gaming. So I would like to apologize to our listeners. We will now discuss various projects that we cannot disclose by name. So some of them have not yet been released. Some of them are just too secret to ever be named in public. Uh, but we want to talk about the process anyway. So, so how does Goodbye Kansas use Unreal? Uh, you, men- you mentioned that it's now Unreal 5 coming. Are you already working with that? Or? We are working with that in some projects. Um, it could be everything from the client uh, that we're working with maybe already invested in Unreal 5. They have their own build that we need to work with. Mm-hmm. It could also be in in some cases that we feel like there is a feature or some some tool that we need to utilize that are in a um, still considered not for production build. Uh, So it's like a trade-off for stability and uh, new flashy features and you have to decide like project-wise what suits the project best and what's what's needed basically. When a new version uh, arrives, is it like completely different then, or is it just more features? Or what's the main difference between the various editions of it? Do you need to learn everything from the start again? <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> no, no, it's more more new features than anything else. Sometimes they replace systems, uh, like the particle system. Uh, fairly recently, was replaced with a new system. So sometimes you have to relearn some systems, but uh, mostly it's more more stuff, more features. <laughs> but your base knowledge from 2004, or <laughs> is it still like there and needed? Yeah, I, I mean, you build upon it. It's yeah, it's there. It's partly uh, the same code base as back in in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's old stuff, but it's always being tacked on with new flashy tech and yeah. sometimes replaced of course yeah. and even in in like unreal's case even it feels more flashy and more brand new than other releases uh, but it's if you know unreal 4 you would be pretty at home at unreal 5 they have like a few really amazing new features and they have a new interface but it's still like the same software underneath and mm. you, you wouldn't have to relearn much it's more like learning new tools i would say so, so how does Goodbye Kansas utilize Unreal? What, what kind of project? Um, yeah, as I said, it's either the the um, 
there's actually a need for a runtime experience where you need to render it uh, before your eyes in the viewport. Uh, then, then you couldn't do that without like a game engine. No. Um, but it could also be just that we want to do our production in Unreal and we want to have those faster iteration time when it comes to lighting or adjustments and tweaking things, just building out like a, an environment is pretty amazing for, for artists that's work with, um, works with creating environments because mm. it's such a fast workflow. Um, I would say it's pretty fast getting like to an really nice looking image in a game engine but it can be harder to get like the lost pieces there like mm. the the little extra image quality can sometimes be harder to get because you need to do some sheets and the techniques to to get the performance in so it's a safer bet to go with like a, a offline render because you know that you can sheet everything pretty easily it just mm. takes longer to render but in in real time it's a lot of more tricks that you need to learn and 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 do to make it manageable and do you use it in combination with, with motion capture to like help actors see where they are yeah in the instant that is actually one thing that we push for as well so when we have the shoots here at the office uh, in our mock-up studio we sometimes have Unreal running uh, at the same time where the actors can then see themselves as the avatar that they're playing. It could be like a, it doesn't even have to be a human. It could be some monster that they're playing and it, it's, I think it helps them get into the role and uh, see the size that they're at in, in the world and when they're interacting with each other. Um, and uh, yeah, we also then have, of course, better lighting set up. So we, the directors will get a better feel for, for the, it's not finished, but it's still like mm. it um, tells much more about the how the end product will look or yeah, can look. it must be a big help for, for yeah. a performer to like do that and, and that could be done for anything it could be for a feature film or a... yeah absolutely so so when you learned that there's a new version coming or when you heard about Unreal Five is coming, are you like excited and like oh what features will be in that one? Definitely. Excited, uh, but also carefully optimistic. (laughs) (laughs) Don't count your chickens before they hatch. It's always marketed as magic. Yeah. But we all know it's not magic. So there has to be limitations with all the new stuff. So it's it's more like... uh, being excited for the possibilities, but also being wary of the limitations. Mm. Uh, What's the difference, main differences between Unreal 5 and 4? You, you mentioned the particle system. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that, that was Even changed now, yeah. in, in earlier yeah, in 4. Uh, but uh, the, the big thing is the new uh, Nanite and Lumen systems, uh, which is uh, Nanite. Explain. <laughs> Nanite. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? Like uh, uh, a new system to render static geometry, so you can uh, uh, it adapts to the quality that's needed for the current frame without mm-hmm. having to to reduce poly counts uh, of the like uh, scans. For example, you don't have to um, make lower poly versions of that mm-hmm. asset, so you can just render the. It, it gets reduced at runtime, of course, uh, but uh, 
that's the thing is for producing that asset, it's a lot faster. Mm. And uh, often in, in the end, it's, it looks better as well. And I would say like it's been a major drawback of creating stuff for real time, uh, especially runtime, um, when we need to have this extra optimization on meshes and uh, textures and everything needs needs a extra thought on how where we could optimize where it doesn't show up basically but in this case i actually feel that it feels a bit like magic in a <laughs> system uh, i i was also optimistic about it but it feels like they actually pulled something awesome here uh, it's it's really really impressive what what you can do with the nanite yeah but then again the limitations are also uh, like you can't you can't deform the geometry and it can't be translucent it has to be opaque yeah so may, maybe that will happen in unreal 6 <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe. Well, let's hope <laughs> let's hope it's before that would be amazing <laughs> there's one project that we actually can mention the title of uh, game trailer for frontier developments game Formula One Manager 2022 that Goodbye Cancer Studios produced this winter. And you two were CG supervisors on that project. Um, tell me about the production. What, what were your roles? What, what does it imply to be CG supervisor in a project like this? Uh, I don't know what's usually implied since it was my first time. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, uh, I think it's like uh, you have to have the overview to coordinate with all the other people so everyone has something to do which contributes to the end product. <laughs> mm. uh, but also, I, I think I I don't know if I was also pretty deep in production uh, since we, we had a, like a tight time frame of doing it so it was all hands on deck uh, most of the time even our director uh, jumped into Unreal a bit and helped oh. out <laughs> <laughs> so maybe uh, Tim knows I would say like a supervision role is is mostly at least in our products projects is mostly about helping the all the aw awesome artists that we have here at Goodbye Kansas to do their job and like when they're stuck they need some technical help or they need to have a new tool to to be able to do what they need and and also as you said like being the sort of like coordinator inside of the software and helping uh, helping out um, in this case it was I think a lot more hands-on uh, in the production even though it's always a bit of that it was more than usual because we did so much of the the actual content and the production on our own uh, and we did a lot more than we usually do inside of unreal directly uh, we, we did like the rigging in unreal and uh, not all the rigging but we did like the the control rigs in, in unreal and we did the animation in unreal it's it was uh, was more more stuff than usual that was done directly in Unreal and and it was a smaller like team so we did more I would say. So what was the favorite part of that that trailer? Do you have a favorite shot or a favorite thing that you did? I really liked the the LED walls that you created, Henrik. That was really cool. 
Well, that's flattering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think uh, my favorite shot is like the, the the overhead shot with the blue and red uh, lighting. I think. And we did use Unreal on this project, um, which in hindsight might not be the right choice because we it was uh, like. Uh, even early access um, release. It wasn't the preview that is out now. So it was a lot a lot of bugs. And uh, we sort of decided that we're going to give it a go anyway because we were so eager to get 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 Unreal 5 tested. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it, we, we managed it, but it was maybe not worth it risk-wise uh, since uh, all the stuff that we needed to do, like we since it was pre-rendered, we, we could do it in 427 instead uh, yeah. we didn't like even if we utilized nanite and lumen we we could have done it with like a regular ray tracing and and just having high poly meshes that wasn't that optimized may i ask how many different softwares do you master <laughs> oh i don't know uh, <laughs> that's it's hard um uh, Master is also like <laughs> where, where, <laughs> maybe, I, I, maybe a strong yeah. word. Yeah, it's a bit too strong because uh, I don't feel like <laughs> feel like all the softwares that we work with. Even if I would focus on one of them, like hundred percent, it would be hard to master it. Like at least learn learning everything because it's so there's so many there's so much depth and so many like turns to take what you want to learn. It's not like doing one thing uh, inside of the softwares uh, like say even um, even just for the modeling part like if, if if you would take maya or houdini or any of those softwares if you would just focus on modeling it's uh, it's uh, endless of kind of tools and uh, tricks that you can learn to do those kind of things so uh, i wouldn't call myself a master in, <laughs> in them i <laughs> You're think too humble <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our humble home, buddy. It seems to me that that, that you, uh, in your line of work, you get to work with so many different parts of it. In a way, uh, is that one of the secrets? How you keep your passion alive? Because I think it probably is important to have a passion for it. I think so. That's at least what drives me. I, I love like, yeah, have, having uh, the ability to switch between stuff and always learning new things. That's mm. that's what drives me. I, like. Even after work, uh, I often look at tutorials and learn new things. And as I said, I always have my own hobby projects on the side, w- which I work on. And um, my wife usually makes fun of me because I'm, I'm sitting doing my own uh, techie stuff. And she's like uh, picking out cloth, uh, clothing for our do- daughter to be. And uh, she's doing things that benefits us both, I would say. And I'm more nerdy in my thing where I'm doing yeah just something that i'm super interested in yeah i i can relate to that (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's uh learning new stuff is is the best part i think and do we ever feel like when you have found a tutorial of something or or a new feature in some software and feel like wow i could do this and this with that and do you then come forth in a production way we, we could actually use this one to do this but because you just want to yeah. try it yeah yeah i mean i think often when i read i i 
have a tendency to read the like SIGGRAPH papers and mm -hmm. stuff to uh, and it's those papers are always so technical so yeah. sometimes it's uh, it's scary to like see a paper and <laughs> read it and be interested in it and and want to try it out in a production yeah. uh, when you don't really know how it works yet <laughs> no no but um, but that, it, it's like a journey in a way it's like you discover new things and want to try it yeah yeah so things change and evolve quickly in our business uh how do you think that unreal will evolve in the coming years that's, that's a, a hard question <laughs> yeah i mean i i hope that they continue doing what they're doing it's really really awesome and exciting as i said before um it feels like you have a bunch of developers and engineers working for you because you often get these major features and uh, stuff that it's pretty common that we come up with an idea for a tool that we want to build and start building it and maybe sometimes have it done uh, but pretty often we we just are in a prototype phase where, where when unreal then epic releases same tool that you you've been longing for and that's pretty awesome to get those kind of things for free basically yeah. uh, as a company but isn't you... it frustrated if you have put lots of time in like trying to develop it your, yourself um usually you then see how it should have been done or <laughs> <laughs> in some odd cases maybe uh, the tool that you created still has uh, has value and and um, um are used uh, but i think it's good it's um yeah, you get free free stuff. <laughs> it's yeah. nice. Yeah, and sometimes your your uh, feature can be retrofitted mm. onto the new feature, so you can uh, have like if you have some special features that you need uh, in your tool, you can always or not always, but uh, often combine uh, the features you like with their new feature. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hope that they continue um like of course, they're going to continue creating the like tools for game devs, and um, that includes us, uh, sort of. But uh, even more so, the push that they've been doing for filmmaking and cinematic tools. Uh, I hope that they continue pushing that because it's it benefits both games and also like cinematic productions as ours. Yeah, yeah, and I think for real time rendering in general, I think we're going to see more stuff being rendered with uh, ray tracing right now it's mostly reflections and global illumination shadows in some cases uh, but i think in future everything will be race <laughs> <laughs> an exciting future for sure. <laughs> a bright future L last but not least uh do you have a dream project anything you would love to do I haven't done yet. I feel like I have a bunch of those. And uh, every time I start it, like it's super fun in the beginning and, and it's fun for a while. But then the backside is that you, you don't want to be stuck on the same project for that long. So it's yeah. it's nice that you yeah, have have the var variation. So your, your advice for someone venturing into this business is to go for the kind of stuff that Gruba Kansas does because the productions are done in just a few months instead of being stuck yeah. in the game for years. Yeah, if you like working with the really nice game pro projects, like really big IPs and uh, 
don't want to be stuck on the same one for mm. five years, say, uh, then it's uh, really cool to be part of it and then jump on to another one after yeah. that. Say for a few months, sometimes it's uh, three months, sometimes it's half a year, but it's often not longer than that. No. Um, Variation, that's yeah. the key. Yeah, and I, I think as also not considering the time frame, I think uh, when you work on a game, uh, you have to have, um, it has to run at runtime. Most often our cinematics don't run at runtime. Mm. Uh, and it's a frame takes longer than, than uh, real time. Uh, so I think if you want to make the best looking frames, cinematics is, is the way to go. Mm. Really nice to have you here. Uh, thanks a lot for coming and chatting about Unreal. About thanks for having things. us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, and many thanks you out there who listened to this little podcast. Uh, if you like us, feel free to spread the word about us or do mail us if you have questions or suggestions of things you would like us to talk about here at Yellowbrook Road. You reach us at podcast at goodbyecancels.com. Until next time, goodbye, a bientôt, auf Wiederhören, wir hörs. Thank you.